Welcome to the Learning Forte podcast, where we hold conversations with hybrid leaders who are navigating change, experimenting with new ways to form community, and pursuing the common good. Our guests for these episodes are so brilliant and the content so life-giving, we wanted to make portions of them available to all of you. This podcast began as a part of our Strategic Imagination Sandbox, an online learning cohort experience for hybrid leaders. You can learn more about that at www.learningforte.com. While we have plans for more guests on future episodes beyond the scope of the sandbox, for now, we're sharing 15 minute or so portions of longer three-part conversations that have shaped this program. We hope you enjoy and share and find that this content supports your values-aligned leadership in hybrid spaces. Welcome to the Strategic Imagination Sandbox, hosted by Learning Forte. We are eager to dive into episode four as we focus on embracing contextual constraints to empower strategic creativity. Last month, we talked quite a bit about the vitality of aligning our personal and organizational values for collective impact, well, especially focusing on how to explore and refine our organizational values. This week, we dive into embracing contextual constraints to drive strategic creativity. Now, while there is the temptation for creative and innovative leaders to begin with a wide-open imagination and a we-can-do-anything mindset, the reality is we all face limitations. The real test of leadership is how we lead in the midst of these limitations or constraints. In fact, these constraints can actually be the very seeds of innovation and possibilities you likely would not have explored otherwise. Kristen DeMarco is the founder and executive director of Gateway Horseworks, an equine therapy not-for-profit with a mission to incorporate horses for the mental health treatment of people. Kristen DeMarco is an equine specialist with a lifetime of experience riding and training horses. She gained her EGALA certification in 2011 and was educated at Villanova University in communication arts and psychology. Kristen has combined her connection with horses and her desire to help others into this experiential modality. In addition to her duties at Gateway Horseworks, she owns and operates Workhorse, an equine-assisted professional development company, serving the organizational needs of corporate teams, school districts, and others alike. So, Kristen, welcome. Thank you both. Thanks for having me on. Now, that's what the website says about you and Gateway, and I know you, and I know that's a lot. I'm wondering how you would share who you are and what your organization is about if you you and I were maybe in an elevator together sipping lobby-level coffee and you were getting off at the third floor. In other words, a little bit more briefly and conversationally. <laughs> um, yeah, I would just tell you that we, like you said, incorporate horses to, um, you know, for the mental health treatment of people and that so many folks are struggling with traditional talk therapy. Um, especially if they've experienced trauma and need something out of the box, uh, need to step out of the four walls that they're in with a therapist and find new solutions and get a new perspective. Um, and for a lot of people that are resistant to traditional 
talk therapy, especially like adolescents, you know, being able to come out to a farm and work with a licensed therapist in the pasture, as well as an equine specialist in a herd of horses, where we're treating issues like anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, PTSD, and sexual trauma can feel like a different approach. And sometimes just that in and of itself um, yields enough hope to give something new a try. But in our work, no, there is no riding. It's all based on the ground. We don't teach horsemanship. It's all experiential psychotherapy where the horses become metaphors in the client's story. So it can be really similar to play therapy or to sand tray therapy. Um, where clients are interacting with the horses, focusing on the relationships that exist and uh, projecting their stories onto them. And then the trained treatment team helps them make meaning out of those experiences and translate them back into their everyday lives. But in many ways, that allows it to be more accessible to a broader scope of people. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're not riding, um, you know, you need less instruction. You don't have to have a specific body type. Um, you know, you don't even have to really come into the pasture. You don't have to touch a horse even. Um, so it allows for a wider access of people, which is actually our main core value as an organization. That is a perfect segue for the first question. <laughs> when we talk about core values. Uh, so what are some of the important core values that Gateway uh, holds as an organization? Well, we actually have a number of core values, teamwork, communication, nature, sustainability, but I think the most prominent one is access. And, you know, when we started the organization back in 2015, we didn't have that um, value written down in front and center. And yet it was woven into the fabric of the organization because we were extending innovative mental health treatment as well as horses, which are still very much an elite experience, um, and prioritizing access to people who couldn't otherwise afford our services. So um, when we started to rethink um, or do our strategic plan, uh, we had to really start by undoing and rewriting. And we started to rewrite our mission statement and our vision statement because it was becoming more clear, right? Because we had been, you know, um, an organization for that point at, you know, uh, five, four years, five years. Um, and so we were a lot clearer on who we are and, and who we aspire to be. And, you know, that runs concurrently with, you know, experiences happening in our communities. And so we felt like we needed to be really clear and, and have that access. And that has bled into everything, you know, from acquiring a new facility and making sure it's more accessible than being out in rural farmland to, um, transferring one of our main programs instead of working with folks in reentry on our farm after release that we now transport our horses to the prison pre-release. So access is our value and it drives all of our decision-making as an organization. Kristen, it sounds like that what you're talking about is the aftermath of uncovering this value that was motivating you anyway, just hadn't been as clearly articulated. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things we talk about is that 
Um, sometimes values identification is a little bit like archaeology. You have to dig in and figure out what's motivating you anyway. But then once you articulate it, you're able to use it both descriptively and prescriptively, which then makes it easier to access that, like the energy that results from knowing that. Um, I look forward to hearing more about that story and how that all emerged. Yeah, I like that, that analogy of an archaeological dig, because I think, you know, I think that that's always what, as leaders, what we need to be doing is having a self-reflective process, not only individually, but as an organization of like, is this who we are? And then it makes it a lot easier to make decisions um, and strategically plan from that place because, you know, the more you engage that process, the more you know exactly who you are and, and where you're going. And it becomes a lot easier to communicate that to the community, but also to your team, you know, about exactly wh- where we prioritize our time, what, you know, where we prioritize our funding. Every, everything can, can fall in line to that so that everybody else outside of me is really clear about who we are and what we do. It sounds what happens then is by clarifying your values, you actually are decentering uh, your organization away from you as the executive director and more on those values, which then also has an impact beyond the organization, but even into the community. Yeah. I mean, I want this organization to not be Kristen's nonprofit. That's not the essence of a nonprofit. Uh, you know, if I wanted it to be Kristen's company, it wouldn't have become a nonprofit. It belongs to the community. And so, you know, there is this interesting thing that happens with founders, you know, that that it becomes that they are the organization. And that is the truth a little bit at the beginning. Right. And it goes on for a time. And I'm sure for our young organization, it is in a way still going on. And yet, you know, my job as a leader is to make sure that I am planning for my eventual very hopefully the way down the road is stepping back from leading the organization so that it is running and and moving on its own. My goodness, is that, <laughs> that is a hard word. The best mark of a leader is to be able to prepare the organization for your venture depart, eventual departure. Yeah, exactly. Well, my good friend, Andy, t- you know, tells me like the best leaders are the ones that are the most resistant to being leaders, you know, because they're coming at it as a place that they have a skill set that is really going to elevate an organization or a company um, to the next level and that they have the vision and the capacity to do that. And so I think about that all the time because they're, you know, and you and I have talked about this too, like there's a beautiful humility in that of um, not having it be like this hierarchical structure or like this power over dynamic that it's more of like working um, within that value framework to kind of elevate the community to elevate the services and I think that that really authentically bleeds through to everything you do and it you know you know, you water seeks its own level kind of thing and you attract the right people and funders and who, who also value that. 
It's so interesting because my experience in the church is that sometimes people that need to hear that aren't the ones that are struggling with it. And the people who are kind of occasionally saying, hey, well, I'm not a leader are the ones who need to hear that. Because I think there's also a balance there that when the community calls forth a leader, even if it's someone and especially if it's someone who hasn't named themselves that way, that a leader also steps into that space and uses their gifts and skills for the community. And it's that responsiveness that is a cycle of both responsiveness and humility, um, responsiveness and willing to step back that I think often is a, a dance yeah. that all of us have to do. And that's the same with a herd of horses to bring it back to the horses. But you know, the leader of, if you're looking at a herd of horses, it's never the horse in front ever. The leader of the horse herd is usually a mare and, um, um, who runs the world. And, um, you know, it's, 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 she's usually leading from the back and, um, you know, she's, she's not out in front saying I'm the strongest, I'm the best, you know, that she's, she's leading by, um, watching over, Mm. um, and being able to have the eyes on, on her herd. Um, and so, you know, and, and the leadership in the herd changes if, a, if a horse dies or, um, you know, um, a stallion takes some of the herd, they reorganize. And a lot of times a new leader will emerge because the dynamics are different. And that's the same in teams. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, I really like that, um, idea of it's like a ping pong ball of like, we go up, we get clarified in our role. We gain trust. Um, we have this positive momentum and, um, we head toward this like, um, high performing team. And then, you know, the company gets sold or a new leader comes on, we get a new CEO or, you know, insert whatever change happens. And then you're kind of back to the beginning, not really all the time, but it does help remind us, right. That it is a process that we're always going to go through and that's normalizing the process of change. And that, and that, um, part of that is that you're not going to lead forever. And that's like a really good thing. And that's like, we forget that change is healthy because it brings up all of our stuff and we don't like change. Nobody does. Um, but that actually is, you know, especially when you're building a company or building something like, it's constant change and constantly not where you think it's going to be or how you think it's going to go or people aren't who you thought that they were going to be. Like it's never the people who you think are going to support you are the ones at the end of the finish line. Like it's just not how you imagine it. So being able to kind of go with the flow and, and, you know, be adjustable, I think is a sign of really good leaders. So wondering why is assessment important in a leader's work in the midst of change, especially as it relates to constraints, creativity, and our intended impact? I think it's really important to have a process of self-evaluation and assessment and 
yet be very clear that that is not tied to outcomes that have outside change attached to them because, um, I always want to be reflective and assess myself as a leader and know where I can do better and then have a process of like getting it wrong and saying, I'm sorry. And, um, trying a different way and, and just trying to stay in a really creative space. And when I feel like I'm being creative, you know, even though I'm the worst painter on the planet, like I can use the wrong color and then I can try and correct it, you know, um, or I can get a new canvas and try again. Um, so having that mindset, is really important in that process. And that happens in individual therapy. It just does. That's where it lives. Um, and so assessing as an organization is something that I'm still really learning about, you know, that how, how are we measuring ourselves and what are we doing well and what do we need more of or less of? And I guess it's just important to ask those questions and to put to build a culture where people feel that work in the organization that are quote unquote below you, that feel like they have a voice to, to add to that. Because I feel like people who work with you are the best ones to assess it as well as your clients. So like all of our clients get a, get a, a survey to be able, they have a complaint policy. They have a way to complain. Um, you know, like these are things that we build into the culture of the organization. And so I think you have to be really mindful that like, if you're not hearing back from people about how, they're assessing you and the organization like you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like that's to me the bottom line. You know, um, if you have people coming to you or you have like active engaged meetings where people feel like they can speak up and everybody's voice can be heard, like these are great everyday metrics about, you know, how you can get real information eventually. I heard this incredibly wise piece that I don't want to lose and I want to think about Learning Forte as a young organization too, bringing some of this in, this amazing distinction that I just heard you make, which is the importance of this ongoing way to receive metrics and feedback, but also this distinction that there also needs to be ways to do personal growth and professional growth feedback that is not completely tied to those metrics. And so it's not a either or, it's a both and, and creating space and clarity about both of those things. And I just want to hold on to that and thank you for that. Yeah, sure. I don't do that well all the time, by the way. <laughs> but I know that that's the truth. I think it is a yes and. And Kristen, I mean, we just have two final things that I wanted to ask. Um, the one would be, would there be an example of a way that you've done that in your own, in your own life, in your own experience as a leader of doing that assessment? I am always looking to my team to give me their ideas and their input and their feedback. And um, I notice how they sometimes don't need me to work things out anymore. That the, that the just, it has to me, it has a culture where everybody feels like they really matter. And, you know, that the assessment is if we're doing it well, is that we're continuously growing and asking for help and learning 
new processes and thinking through things from different perspectives. And it's, it's an ongoing process that you have to engage in a mentality that you have to continuously have in order to have a place of self-assessment that doesn't turn into self-criticism. And it just creates, there's like an openness to it and a, and a flow to it that, um, is intangible and yet really clear to anybody that's looking at it from the outside. I love that you shared that because the assessment doesn't replace your values as your center. <laughs> it no. becomes a way of uh, of looking at the the very center of your being. And I love that you just made that distinction. Um, Chris, and one of the ways I would love it, we do this with our, our guests all the time is uh, we end each episode with a final word of encouragement to listeners and leaders. And so I'm wondering what is one word or phrase you would offer a sort of blessing and benediction in our language um, that you could offer to us? Bet on yourself and other people will bet on you too. And it won't be the same people that you think it's going to be when you start out. But... You'll be surprised at who shows up and offers to help and believes in you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Learning Forte podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it in your social spaces. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Imagination Sandbox or enrolling in an upcoming cohort, be sure to visit our website at www.learningforte.com.